Amen. Thank you, worship team. Let's pray together as we dig into God's word this morning. Father God, as we pray those words, as we sing those words, I surrender all, it's it's not easy to do that. God, sometimes it's just important to say it because as we say it over and over and if we say it enough times, it becomes a little bit more true as we do that. God, we thank you that you are gracious and patient with us as we struggle to do that, as we struggle to submit, as we struggle to surrender. And God, in those moments when you allow us to truly surrender, it's, it's a beautiful thing. God, as we turn to your word this morning, we pray that you would help us to surrender a little bit more. That as we explore what you have said, what you have promised us, You would help us to trust you enough that we would be able to surrender. That we would know that you are good. That you are God. Amen. Amen. Let's turn to Acts chapter 1 this morning. Acts chapter 1. We're going to start right into reading a a passage of scripture here that's going to lead us in the directions that we're going to be going this morning as we continue. Acts chapter 1 verses 1 to 11. This is the ascension of Jesus. And a verse at the very end is going to be important for us this morning as we explore things. Acts chapter 1, verse 1 says this, In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven. After giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen, after his suffering, He presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates that the Father has set by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, He was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus, who has been taken from you into heaven, will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. God has promised that Jesus will return. God has promised that Jesus is coming back. That is huge. And it's really weird. Do you really believe that? And what does that even mean? 
We're coming to the end of our series focused on the promises of God, exploring the incredible things that God has said to us, that he has guaranteed us, that he wants us to understand and embrace. Powerful truths that God is in control, that you are his workmanship, his child, an heir to his kingdom, that you are forgiven and free, made whole, that you can approach him with confidence. Huge, dramatic ideas, things that are so hard to understand and accept, but that we have to embrace because God has said so. And so it is. It's been an incredible journey through these big ideas. And the next week, we're going to wrap up as we step into summer and look at the promise that God has a purpose for you, that he has a plan and a mission for your life. And it's important because these two weeks really connect together. They feed into one another because the reality that they describe, the life that they describe depends on both of these truths. Jesus is coming back. And so we have a mission and a purpose that then connects to that truth very deeply. But honestly, the first part of this, the first part of this promise that we're looking at today is It's one of the weirder feeling promises on this list. And maybe I'm just exposing something about myself here and you're all perfectly fine with this and this makes sense and never mind, you can ignore the rest of this. But this promise that Jesus is coming back is, it's the part that makes me feel a little crazy. It's the part that feels a little cultish. Jesus is going to return like we're the Moonies in the 70s or the Heaven's Gate Halley's Comet people in the 90s waiting for the mysterious man in the sky to come and take us away. It's weird. It feels weird. And the kinds of stories and pop culture things that we connect this kind of idea to that the true believers will be taken away, it, doesn't feel real all the time. It's a weird story. It's a silly belief for gullible people always waiting for something that's never going to happen. We have to acknowledge that feeling, even if we don't want to, because it impacts how and what we believe about these things. And these things are really important because God talks about them a lot. We can't hide from it. We can't push it away or or pretend it doesn't exist because we don't understand because the reality and the truth that Jesus is coming back changes everything. It really means something. And it really should change our lives here, now, today. What we believe, what we do, what we care about. If Jesus is really coming back, what does that really mean for us? And the first part is, 
Is it true in the first place? Is Jesus coming back? We're practical people. And while we can read the Bible or come to a service and think about God a little bit, we so easily go back to our normal lives. As if God is separate from them somehow. There's church life and just kind of everything else life. And we've got a mortgage. And my van blew a tire and so I've got to deal with that. And my kid is doing virtual learning today so I've got to help them. And I need to mow my lawn and my cable company screwed up my bill and overcharged me. And I've got to deal with that. And my favorite show is coming on pretty soon and I'm excited about that. And we've got some company coming over tomorrow. So I've got to clean up the house and yeah, grab a couple things from the grocery store. And we just kind of don't think about it. We just keep so busy keeping our heads above water, trying to live, trying to find time for everything. And because God is so easily one of the things we have to do instead of the core of our life and the foundation of everything, because he can be a chore or an errand rather than a real relationship, we don't really think about it. But God talked about this a lot. And Jesus himself talked about his return a lot. John chapter 14, 1 Thessalonians 4, 1 Corinthians 15, Isaiah 2, Joel 2, Zechariah 14, Daniel, Revelation. Whole books dedicated to this, that there is an end. And Jesus is coming. It's all through scripture and all through the life and ministry of Jesus. He told us that he had come from God and that he was going to come again. Matthew chapter 24, Jesus lays this out for us most fully. He talks about this in a bunch of different places, but in Matthew chapter 24, he really lays out What's coming? And it's, it's in a long section of his, his teaching as he's responding to some of the Pharisees and he's at the temple and he's traveling around and people are following him as he tries to explain some things. And so there's a, a number of things going on over multiple chapters here. But in the middle of this, as he's talking about all these important things, in the middle he lays out what is going to happen. In Matthew chapter 24, and we're going to read 30 verses here, so buckle up. It's good stuff. It's heavy stuff, though. Jesus left the temple. Again, he was there with the Pharisees, and he was kind of saying some harsh things about them. They weren't huge fans of that all the time. But he had been doing a lot of teaching in and around all of these things. And this is the passage in Matthew 22 where he talks about the greatest commandment. Love God, love others. And he's carrying on this teaching through all these different things. Jesus left the temple and was walking away when his disciples came up to him to call his attention to its buildings. These wonderful, grand buildings that had been built in this area. Do you see all these things? Jesus asked. Truly I tell you, Not one stone here will be left on another. Every one will be thrown down. As Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately. Tell us, they said, when will this happen? What will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? Jesus answered, watch out. 
that no one deceives you. For many will come in my name claiming I am the Messiah and will deceive many. You will hear of wars and rumors of wars, but see to it that you are not alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All of these are the beginning of birth pains. Then you will be handed over to be persecuted and put to death. You will be hated by all nations because of me. At that time, many will turn away from the faith and will betray and hate each other. Many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. But the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. So when you see standing in the holy place the abomination that causes desolation spoken of through the prophet Daniel, let the reader understand Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let no one on the housetop go down and take anything out of the house. Let no one out in the field go back to get their cloak. How dreadful it will be in those days for pregnant women and nursing mothers. Pray that your flight will not take part in the winter or on the Sabbath. For then there will be great distress. Unequaled from the beginning of the world until now. And never to be equaled again. If those days had not been cut short, no one would survive. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be shortened. At that time, if anyone says to you, look, here is the Messiah, or there he is, do not believe it, for false messiahs and false prophets will appear and perform great signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. See, I have told you ahead of time. So if anyone tells you, there he is, out in the wilderness, do not go out. Or here he is in the inner rooms. Do not believe it. For as lightning that comes from the east is visible even in the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. Wherever there is a carcass, there the vultures will gather. Immediately after the distress of those days, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light, the stars will fall from the sky, and the heavenly bodies will be shaken. Then will appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven. And then all the peoples of the earth will mourn when they see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. Jesus is coming. And it's a big deal. It's going to be powerful, dramatic. Jesus talks about Destruction and thunder and lightning and weeping and mourning. The whole world seeing and understanding and being overwhelmed. It's wild. It's exciting. It's confusing. And it still kind of feels like, okay, but what's the point? What does this mean for us? What am I supposed to do with this? It's it's an incredible passage, an incredible picture, but what am I supposed to do with it? And that's kind of Jesus' point. We won't get it. Remember when he's talking to Nicodemus 
about the Messiah and salvation, about being born again. And Nicodemus just couldn't understand. And Jesus says, you don't understand when I talk about earthly things. How are you going to understand if I talk about heavenly things? We focus on the dramatic pictures in a passage like this. But what does Jesus say again and again, even in these few verses? Don't get distracted. Don't get sidetracked. The great commandment. That's where all of this started. Love God. Love others. That's what he was talking about right before this. He said it in chapter 22. And that's our focus. God will take care of all of the rest of it. Pay attention. Know that God is in control. He is working. But love him and love the people around you. That's what you can do. So why tell us this at all then? Well, two reasons. First, the world is not what it seems. This life is not what we always assume. What we just kind of default our way through friends and family and work and home and chores and food and sleep Jesus is trying to remind us here that we're not just physical beings and normal life as we live it is not all there is there is a spiritual reality a spiritual world deeply connected to this one to this normal And there is a plan and a purpose behind and around all of this that we can completely miss if we're not paying attention. But it's real. More real in truth. More permanent. And God wants us to see it. God is real. His kingdom is real. And earth is a part of that. And second then is that we're not just made to exist. We talked about eternity a couple of weeks ago, but we are invited into an experience of life, a fullness, an abundance of life and relationship that is far beyond our wildest imagination. Life with Him. Eternal life. This world will end. Everything we've ever known will cease. And Jesus will make it all different. Our life isn't about building wealth or accomplishing some great thing, building fame or fortune. All of that will fade away. And the only thing that's left is God. Jesus talks about this. God talks about this because he needs us to know that it's real. It's a jarring reminder that while we live here, this is not all there is. He is all there is. This all matters somehow. Some way, he created it, and it's important, but only as it connects to him. Only as we connect to him. 
Jesus is coming back because God created the world with a plan and a purpose, and that has never changed. The stories we read in the Bible can seem so foreign and distant, but Jesus tells us he's coming back to remind us that this is all true. And this all really means something. Everything he talks about really means something. God is here with us and he wants us to see what he's doing. God has promised us that Jesus is coming back because we need to know that he is in control. And that all of this means something. There's so much pain and hurt and evil in the world and he needs us to know that he is ultimately working to make it right. To bring justice. To bring healing. To bring peace. For real. Not as just an idea Or an ideal, not just somewhere out there for real, right here in your life. Jesus is coming back because God is in control and he is going to fix everything. And that sounds great. And in this moment I can feel that really deeply, but still... It's been 2,000 years. 2,000 years. The way the people in the Bible talk about it, even Jesus' own followers, they were expecting Jesus to come back in their own lifetime and probably within just a couple of years of the first time he was here. And year after year dragged on and years turned into decades into centuries, into millennia. What do we do with that? How do we still believe? Still wait? Are we supposed to just stop all of this, to give up everything here and just wait for his return, sell everything we have, give it all away and wait? Countless believers across the centuries and even today have drawn up timelines and performed all kinds of calculations to prove that Jesus was coming back at a date they knew, usually very close for sure within their own lifetime. Even just a few years ago, in 2011, there was that gentleman who claimed that Jesus was coming back in 2011 and the people in his church sold and gave away their houses, gave away everything because Jesus was coming back. And they knew it. They knew when. But if we really believe, shouldn't we be doing the same? Jesus told us the parable of the wise and the foolish builders. One built his house on the rock and one built his house on the sand and when the storm came, the house on the sand was washed away while the house built on the rock stood firm. And while there's tons to this parable, lots of different things that we can look at, one of the aspects is that the wise and the foolish man both built houses. 
God isn't calling us to dig a hole and sit in it until he returns, to build a bunker and hide away and wait for the end of the world. God told the Israelites in exile in Babylon to build houses, plant gardens, dig in, get comfortable, be a light. Because you're going to be here for a while. I'm going to rescue you. I'm going to bring you out of this place, but you're going to be here for a while. And I've got a mission for you while you are. The world needs to hear his message, and he's putting us where we are to share it with the people around you. Again, in Matthew 24, Jesus tells us what's going to happen, but in Matthew 22, in the same story, Jesus told them what he wanted them to do. Great commandment, love God, love others. Jesus is coming back. And as we pray and meditate and trust in that reality, it really should change everything for us. Our whole outlook and purpose should shift with the understanding that all of this will end. And he is the only thing that matters. But within that, he's still calling us to live here now, to build your house. But build it on the rock. Plant your garden so that you have food to eat, but don't lose sight of his kingdom. I get so hung up on earthly things. Retirement and comfort and family and security and planning for the future. And none of those things are bad. But if we're not careful, it's all sand. Jesus is inviting me to build my life on him instead, on the rock. Are you focused on your own life or God's kingdom? Are you making your own plans or is God leading you? They both built houses, but one was on sand and the other was on the rock. And if we don't think about the fact that Jesus is coming back, if we don't build our life with Jesus at the center, or more accurately, if we don't let Jesus build our life instead of us, We won't be ready when he returns. And all the things we'll have built for ourselves will have no value. It's been 2,000 years and we have no longer, no, no idea how long it will be yet. It could be tomorrow. Five, ten years from now. And it could be another 2,000 years or more. And it doesn't matter. If we build our house on the rock, if we let Jesus determine our life, our plans, our goals, our purpose, if our life is built to build his kingdom and everything we do is meant to serve him, to love him, to share that love with the people around us, then we'll be more than ready for him to return no matter when it happens. Jesus is coming back. And that means what we do here actually matters. So where are you building? Let's pray together. Father God, we come before you this morning and we say thank you. We thank you for your word.
We thank you for your spirit. We thank you that you are present here with us. That you are speaking, that you are moving, that you are helping us to see. We thank you for these incredible pictures that you paint for us in Scripture of what is going to happen, God, that you display to us so clearly that you are in absolute control and you are working to achieve exactly what you want. And God, you are inviting us into that. Help us to surrender. Help us to submit. Help us to see that you are what matters. And that as we bow to you and submit to you, you allow everything else in our lives to have a purpose bigger and deeper than we can understand. That as we build our house on that rock, it will have eternal value. That when Jesus comes back, we are ready. And the things that we will have done with you and through you matter. Give us wisdom, God. Help us to see. Forgive us when we fall into selfishness and fear and try to take control of our own life and build our own things. And guide us gently back to your kingdom. Amen.